0: Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com. It's true. I flew on an airplane yesterday, and it's weird. It's so weird. You have to go. Well, first of all, you can't go into an airport without a mask on. The airlines say they'll give you a free mask before you get on the plane, but clearly none of them have figured out how you're supposed to get to the plane to get your free mask when you're not allowed in the airport without a mask. So you have to have a mask to get on an airplane. You have to wear the mask the entire flight unless you're eating and drinking. So I bought so much food and water before I got on the flight. So I didn't wear my mask the entire flight and neither did the dog sitting next to me. There was literally a dog in the seat next to me and she, she and or he also did not have a mask on. But it was really weird, but it was also really great. I travel a lot. It actually has, um, it has a lot to do with my job. But I'm, and, and the other thing that I do a lot is I go into churches a lot. That's part of my job. I'll explain that maybe a little bit. But um, how many of you... This is the first time you've been in a church building in like three and a half months since we locked down. How many? This is it. Okay, so a handful. Okay, so this is this is my first time. I go into church buildings for my job, and this is the first time I've been in one in three and a half months. And I'm um, so happy to be here. So ha- I just took a picture of all of you um, from the back sort of showing, and I sent it to my teammates just to tell them. We all do the same thing. We all, we all visit churches all the time, and none of us have been in churches. So I sent a picture to them, just so that they could vicariously live through me, that we're actually in a church service with actual people with actual singing, and one of them wrote back, "I'm calling the cops." So we may, we might not get through the whole thing tonight. But, um, so I want to tell you something about the last three and a half months for me. I'm an extrovert. How many here would consider yourself an extrovert? You feel more normal in a crowd with lots of people around. Okay. How many of you would say you're, you lean more towards the introvert? You prefer maybe a little more alone time or smaller groups of people. Okay. So um, pretty early on in this, in this uh, I call it the lockdown. I don't know what other people call it. Quarantine, whatever you want to call it. Pretty early on in this lockdown, some of my, my introverted friends started sort of bragging about their abilities to cope. And they were bragging about how like, all these extroverts are asking me, how do you do this? How, what am I supposed to do? And I didn't ask anybody how to do it because I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to get better at it. And I learned something about introverts through this process as well, and that is that they also don't thrive in isolation. They might thrive in smaller groups and they might thrive with, with some alone time, maybe even a lot of alone time, but not all alone time. And this is why we are not created for isolation. We are not built for isolation. We weren't created that way. We were created in the image of God. And I don't know if you're aware, this actually has nothing to do with my message, by the way. But in the image of God, we were created to be with others, to be in relationship with others and to be in relationship with God. And God himself, as he exists, as the creator God, as he created us, was living in relationship with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a God who is, in his own nature, relationship, and he created us for relationship, and we know that he did that because the only thing that he said was not good about his creation was the fact that when he created man, man was alone. It was not good that man be alone, and so he created woman so that there would be togetherness, so that there would be relationship. So tonight is a really important night for you all. And I don't know if you feel it, and I, maybe some of you have not been socially distancing at all. I mean, it's kind of weird the way we're sitting. It looks like a chess board that, the, we're like halfway through the game. And there's just like pawns and bishops and a queen. Um, and a king. So, uh, this, is, this is important though. This, it's important that we're here because we are doing what we are created for. We are being together. And this actually does lead into what I wanna talk about uh, with you tonight which is um, this passage in Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to read it to you um, because it actually starts with these words. And it's a little bit of what I was just saying. These words join together. So open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Philippians chapter 3. We're in verse 17. I'm going to read through verse 21. And then I'm just going to pray before we um, begin talking about what this passage is actually all about. So just, uh, just listen as I read. Philippians 3.17, "'Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, "'just as you have us as a model, "'keep your eyes on those who live as we do. "'For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, "'even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. "'Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, "'and their glory is in their shame.'" Their mind is set upon earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Will you pray with me? God, I invite you by your Holy Spirit in this moment to to reveal what you want to say to us. I'm thankful that we are together tonight, that we are in proximity to one another, Um, many of us for the first time in a group this size in several months. So thank you that we are together and that you are here with us. And I invite your spirit to lead us, guide us, teach us, open our minds, open our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so this is a really interesting passage and I, uh, at one time in my life, heard somebody preaching this passage and it starts out with this, join together and follow my example. This is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul. And uh, Paul is speaking to the Philippians who were Christians, but they were living in a pretty non-Christian culture. They were uh, almost an anti-Christian culture, but that's who he's writing to and that's who he's talking to. And he says to them, follow my example. He's been talking to them about well, like where their mind should be and what they should be uh, focusing on what they should be moving towards as a people who are following Christ. And then he just says, follow my example. And I remember thinking one time when I heard this uh, sermon preached on this passage, the pastor said, we should follow the example of, and he pointed to one of our worship leaders and said his name. And he said, and we should follow the example of, and he pointed out an elder and said his name. And, and I was like, huh, because I knew those two guys, and I was like, "I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I want to be like them in every way." So I was trying to figure out what exactly does it mean? And it almost sounds arrogant, that it sounds like Paul is saying, "Anyway, if you're wondering how to live, just look at me. I'm doing it perfectly and you should follow me. And by the way, the other people who are with me and around me, the other people that I travel with and that you've met who are leaders in this movement that's called The Way or or Christianity, we call it now, but back then they called it The Way. He said, if if you want to understand how to do it, just follow my example. And it sounds really arrogant when you say it that way. Like, if I just got up here in front of you and just said, if any of you are struggling with how to be a really good Christian, you should just follow my example and then I should just list off all the things I do that would prove to you that I'm such a great Christian. It sounds arrogant, but it isn't. Because of the context that he's actually saying this, he's saying this to a group of people who were brand new followers of Jesus. Following Jesus in general was a brand new thing, and very few people were doing it at this time. The church was not huge. It was small, and it was scattered all over the place. And Paul was talking to a group of them, and they didn't have... They didn't have a Bible to hold in their hands to go, now how did Jesus live? What did did Jesus say? What miracles did he perform? They didn't have that. The written word was not in their hands. It hadn't been written down yet for many of them. So they they had nothing except Paul's example and his words. And so he wasn't bragging to them about what a great follower of Jesus he was. What he was saying to them was, if you don't know how to follow Jesus, then look for the examples of those you can follow. Look for the examples who are a little bit further down the road. And so that's what he's saying. So I want you to understand that before we go any further. And I think that's a great principle for us as as human beings in general, but as Christ followers specifically. Look for somebody who's been through it, somebody who's further down the road, somebody who's learned a lesson that you haven't learned, somebody who knows something that you don't know, And imitate them, if they're worthy. So how do you know who to imitate? All right, so here's, here's what he says. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Not arrogance, just really good advice for people trying to figure out what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears... Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now try and imagine a person who is an enemy of the cross of Christ. What would you imagine that person would look like? What do you imagine their behavior would be like? What do you imagine they would think about? What would they talk about? How would they dress? Whatever it is, if they're an enemy of the cross of Christ. And I don't know what picture comes to your mind. I'm not going to ask for answers to that because I'm afraid of what your answers might be. But, uh, but what, if, if what comes to your mind is this like evil-looking, gnarly person who has a shirt, a shirt that says um, uh, like Metallica <laughs> is is a great, it's not what I was going to say. I was going to say something like Lucifer is my homeboy or something like that, but Metallica is good too. So whatever it is, like if you're thinking about that person, this person that, that Paul describes as, who, as someone who lives as an enemy of the cross of Christ, all right? And then he goes on to say more. So just keep in mind that kind of image that you have. And here's how he describes the person who lives as an enemy of the cross of Christ. He says their destiny, where they are going, their end goal, the result of the path that they're on, their destiny. And Paul talks a lot about destiny in the book of Philippians. Where are we going? What's the direction? In fact, I entitled this message, Live Life Looking Forward. And then I didn't tell you that I entitled it that or give you notes or anything, but that's what I called it. If you want to write that in your notes, live life looking forward. All right, so their destiny, the destiny of these people who are enemies of the cross is destruction. Their God is their stomach. What do you think that one means? Just think about that one for a bit. I mean, I think you can probably figure it out, but... Here's, here's what generally it means. It's actually probably a quote of some ancient Greek writing um, about the God being the stomach. And, but here's what it generally means. They live for the satisfaction of the moment. If you can just, like you, gluttony is really just filling your stomach to it, till it doesn't need to be filled anymore and then having some more. Like it's just overdoing it and, and so their stomach, their cravings, their base desires, that's their God. So okay, we've got some pretty bad sounding people wearing the Metallica shirt here, right? This is, this is people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. They're on a pathway towards destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame, Do you know anybody, I'm just going to guess that most of you do, do you know anybody who loves to brag about the evil they've done? They love to tell stories about the evil they've done. I, I remember growing up, and when I was in high school, Monday morning was basically a big brag fest about the disaster that the weekend had been for all these people, and I was, I was one of them. I, I loved the stories. I was joining in. I loved telling all the stories from the weekend and whatever, from parties or whatever it was, whatever embarrassing, shameful things that we did, we loved to tell those stories. And people, uh, they like took pride in the worst story possible that you could tell. They would take pride in that. I'm not going to tell you any stories, but I'm just telling you that people would take pride in those stories. That's what Paul is describing here is people who are, who are actually proud Of the way that they live that is anti or against the way Christ would have them live. Against the way of the cross. And they're bragging about it. Their their pride is in that. That's where their glory is. So their glory is in their shame. Their mind, he says, is set on earthly things. Okay, so so that means they don't think about anything beyond this world. They're looking for the immediate satisfaction. They're looking for everything they can get in this world. You know people like this. You might be people like this. You're just people who are just there to get what they can get because this life is all there is. And if this life is all there is, then I had a friend who, he really believed this. This was his entire philosophy of life. Whoever experiences the most before he dies wins. That was his entire philosophy. He had no philosophy that went beyond that. There was no such thing as life after death, and if there's no such thing as life after death, then just do it all, try it all. It didn't take him long to completely try everything that he thought would fill him up and come to a complete emptiness. He had no fulfillment. He tried everything. He, he basically said, he's, <laughs> he basically said, do you guys know what the Cirque du Soleil is? You know what that is? Okay, so um, Brian Regan has this routine where he talks about, I don't think he's ever actually done it live, but it's a routine he was working on, and he shared it with Jerry Seinfeld, and I was listening to it. So he he tells the story of the guy who's in charge of Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil, amazing show. How many of you have ever seen a Cirque du Soleil show? All right, so not many, but it's, it's amazing acrobatics, and it's theatrics, and it's crazy, like, stuff that defies gravity, and it's storytelling, and it's lights, and it's magic, and it's, uh, I don't know, sparkles, it's everything. It, so, so, so he has this idea, Brian Regan has this idea, he's trying to work out in his mind, that the guy who's in charge of Cirque du Soleil has never said no to anything, He's never, like, he's in a meeting, and it's all the ideas, like, here we go, we're planning the next Cirque du Soleil show, what do you think we should have? And keep in mind, I'm not going to say no. So people start throwing out ideas. Singing, yes. Dancing, yes. Trapeze, yes. Now keep in mind, people, I'm not going to say no. And then one guy gets bold and says, okay, here's what I see. I see elephants, they come out and they have helicopter landing pads on their backs. Helicopters come in, land on them, monkeys jump out, play kazoos. Yes, (laughs) we're going to do that one. We're going to do it. This is a guy who's never said no to anything, and that's kind of what that's kind of what Paul is describing and that's what my friend's life was like and that's what Paul is describing here. He just said no to nothing. He said yes to everything. He just wanted to try it just to see if it would bring something or, or fill him up in some way or give him some experience that no one else had had or if he, again, if he just added one more experience then together his entire life would add up to this really great experience. It worked exactly the opposite for him. It brought him to the point where all he could think of was killing himself. That was the end of his his experiment of just saying no to nothing. He would would never say no, he would just say yes to everything and it brought him to the point where he actually just wanted to end his life. Fortunately for him, it's also at that moment that he discovered who Jesus was, the one who created him, who loved him, had a plan for him, but he didn't know that before that. He was just living for the moment. So Paul describes, okay, so I'm just gonna recap. This may seem tedious, but I'm going somewhere with this. All right, here we go. Here's how Paul describes these people the ones that he actually is in tears about. He's not angry at them. He's sad about their choice. He's sad about their lives. He's actually in tears as he shares this. He, he calls them, he says that, I'm in tears about these who live as enemies of the, of the cross uh, of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. Just what can I get out of this life? Here's, the big shocker in this passage, Paul was talking about Christians. He wasn't talking about these pagans who lived outside the walls of the church or outside the relationship with the other Christians. He was talking about these people who had taken on the name of Christ, who had decided to follow Christ, and yet continued to live the way that the world around them was living. That's why he's crying. That's why he has tears. It's not because their lives are so pathetic. It's because they're his brothers and his sisters, but they live as though they are enemies of Christ and as though their stomach is their God and as though their destiny is destruction. That's the way they're living, and he's he's weeping for them because he doesn't want them to live that way. He knows there's a better way, and so he says to the people, follow my example, do not follow the example of those who, are on that path, who live as though they're on a pathway to destruction, who just live for the moment, who don't understand what they, who they really are and, who's they, and who, to whom they really belong. So this is the next thing he says. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship, those who do not live that way, those who do not think that way, those who do not live as though they don't care about the cross of Christ... He says, our citizenship is in heaven. I have no idea why you guys are called citizens, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the reasons right here, (laughs) that this is one of the reasons. We we are citizens of heaven. And uh, I want to make sure that I say really clearly what I believe that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that what we do in this world or the life that we live in this world doesn't matter. Some people talk about like, (laughs) I don't, you know, I'm just a stranger in these lands. I'm just a passing through. Those are some old sayings, songs that people used to sing. And it was just like this. If we could just get past this broken earth and get on with heaven, then everything's gonna be awesome. And that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying life isn't to be lived. Just get on to heaven so we can just get out of this broken world where occasionally they lock us all down and we can't talk to each other. So, like, he's not saying that. He's actually... He's actually saying we have a citizenship in heaven, in glorious places, in communion with God. That's our citizenship. That's where we belong. Citizenship for Romans was a huge deal. And these people mostly would have been, they were living in a uh, um, Roman-controlled city. It was a huge deal to be a Roman citizen because you were a part of the largest, most powerful, most innovative, richest people in, in the world at that time. You had the biggest army. You were in charge. You were the smartest. You had all the best people working on all the best stuff. They had running water. Aqueducts were created during that time. This is, this is the Roman civilization. And people who were citizens of Rome could not be harmed by anyone without severe punishment that was decreed by Caesar. Like that was, that, those were the rules. You have to, you cannot Harm a Roman citizen. So citizenship mattered a ton to these people. And it sounds like some of them were just super happy with their Roman citizenship. Like that was enough. Their stomach was their God. Destruction was their destination. But he says, no. He says, we, uh, we are, but we, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Really, literally, if he were to literally say what he's saying there, if we were to translate it really literally, he would say, "We eagerly anticipate the waiting for our Savior. Like it's, it's, we're eager and we're waiting, but we're anticipating, and it's all, it's like this momentum moving towards the time when we actually don't, uh, when we actually meet Jesus face to face, and when we live with him in eternity. So it's this, it's this active." looking forward to that. So here's what it says. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. Our lowly bodies. That sounds like like our bodies are stupid. That's what it sounds like. We just have these lowly bodies that don't measure up and they're lame and everything. And and what he's actually saying is that our bodies do you know that do you know that Jesus in the body he was born in was destined to die like every other human because his body was a human body it was he was destined to die do you know what the percentage of people is that die one out of one it's the ultimate statistic one out of one people die Jesus was born with that same statistic over his life over his body it was a human body but when he came back from the dead he had a different body he had a crazy body after he came back from the dead it was he was able to do things in that body it was a physical body to be sure But he was able to do things in that physical body that he was never able to do before he died. Do you all know the story of how he just appeared in the middle of a room with all the disciples, an upper room, and they're all there, and the door was still locked. They made it very clear when they were sharing the story. And by the way, (laughs) the door was locked. No one let him in. He was just in the middle of the room. Do you know the story of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with two guys? He's walking along the road with these two guys. They're just walking along and he kind of joins them. We're not even sure how he joins them. All of a sudden he's just walking with them and they don't recognize him. There was a time the disciples saw him and didn't recognize him. So there was something about his body. He could even make himself unrecognizable. He's walking along the road with these guys. They have no idea who he is. They don't recognize him at all, even though they were followers of his. They'd been following him. They'd been disciples following him around, listening to his teaching. They don't know who he is because they don't recognize his glorified body until he sits down with them to have a meal. And when he broke the bread at dinner, instantly they recognized who he was. He made himself recognizable to them. And then he did this. He disappeared. That was the body that Jesus was resurrected into. That was his glorified body. That was not the body he was born into. That was the body that he had. Because of the resurrection. He could walk through walls. He, he, at, the, at the end of the gospels. And the beginning of the book of Acts. He levitates. He flies. Up into heaven. That was the body that he had been given. That was his glorified body. And Paul. Is talking about our destiny in this passage, and this is what he says about our destiny. He said, "A way to savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body." You were born into a, a broken body. Uh, It's, uh, I'm I'm not trying to be morbid, but you've been dying since the day you were born. That's, that is, that is it. And if what you believe is that this world is all there is, if your stomach is your God, then destruction is your destiny. That's where you're going. If if that's all you believe, because that's really all that's true about your body, the thing that's going to make your body transformable is knowing the one whose body has already been transformed. He was the first one to go through death and resurrection so that we would also go through death and resurrection. We have a very different destiny because we're connected to Jesus. But here is my fear. That we use the name of Jesus, but we live as enemies of the cross of Christ that we use the name of Jesus, we call ourselves Christians, but the way we choose to live demonstrates that what we really believe is that I just want to get everything that I can. I just want to live for my own glory. I just want to live just to feel full of life and get all this stuff that I can accumulate in this world. Paul says it's a pathway to destruction (laughs) and it makes him weep. And it makes me weep too because I know, I know that our churches in this country are filled with people who bear the name of Jesus out loud but they live as though they're enemies of the cross. They might not think they're enemies of the cross but they live their lives that way. But you have a choice. You have a choice. You don't have to live that way. You actually have a choice. And here's the more important thing. You have a choice with some real bite to it if you think your choice is just you trying to go, man, I've just got to stop doing that thing that I keep doing, or oh, I've just got to be a nicer person, or oh, if I could just stop cheating on every test that I take, not that you take those anymore, but oh, if I could just, whatever it is, if I could stop being so uh, mean to my brother, if I could just stop stealing, if I could just do it, if, if I could just, oh, if I just got to pull it together because I'm a Christian. That's not how it works. I promise you, you'll fail. If you think it's up to you, if you think it's up to you to fix your life and try and get back on a, on a narrow path and try and figure out how to just, that, you know what that is? That's behavior management. Jesus Christ is not about behavior management. Jesus Christ came here for transformation. He came here to transform people, not to change their behavior. There was a rich young ruler who Jesus encountered and when jesus told him what was required of him which for him it was to give away give away his money basically just go ahead and give away all your money and then come and follow me the rich young ruler went away sad like immensely sad he walked away from jesus very sad because he wanted to be a follower of jesus he walked away sad and rich he kept all his money and walked away sad and rich And Jesus didn't chase him. He didn't chase him. He didn't go, I'm just kidding. Come on, come on. You don't have to give it all away. You can keep some of it so you're comfortable or whatever. I just, no, because what Jesus is looking for is people who are transformed. The story that follows that one, I think I actually shared this with you guys one time, maybe a couple years ago, but the story that follows that one is the story of Zacchaeus, a guy who was just like a scumbag. Everybody hated him. He, he, it willingly, when he encountered Jesus, all of a sudden he willingly was like, "I'm giving away all my money. I'm paying back everybody. I've cheated. I've done." It. Jesus never asked him to do it. The difference was this guy just wanted to modify his behavior enough to get into heaven, and Zacchaeus was a transformed person because he met Jesus. The Holy Spirit was left behind for us. The Holy Spirit was left behind to empower us to live a life that Jesus has called us to live. Not one that leads to destruction, but one that leads to a glorified body, one that leads to actual eternal life with Jesus. So here's the question. This is the big question. So when I was a youth pastor, uh, I was a youth pastor for about 20 years out in Chicago. When I was a youth pastor, there was, a, there was a, one of our leaders, one of our female leaders. Um, she, was one of, she was one of our most faithful leaders, and she was great. And she... Um, she was always interested in what, kid was, what was going on with kids and, like, what, how was your week and what was going on? And whenever the question came up, like, uh, or, like, the question was asked, like, what's been going on? Someone said, well, I have a boyfriend now or I have a girlfriend now. <laughs> she would always, every single time, the first thing out of her mouth would be, does she love Jesus or does he love Jesus? Like, that was the first thing she would ask. And the students were always like, I, uh, uh, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> I'm not sure. I hope so. We, I'm, like, I haven't asked yet. We went on one date, and I, it didn't come up. So, <laughs> by the way, were you going to get the shrimp scampi? And do you love Jesus? Because <laughs> I've been wondering about that ever since we sat down here. So, so it, you know, they would kind of freak out about it. And I was actually annoyed by the question a little bit. I'm like, that's, a, that's like a weird question to ask somebody about their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And then I realized, um, eventually I realized, no, that's really the question to ask. Because it it not only makes you think about what that boyfriend, that new boyfriend or girlfriend, where they stand with Jesus, it also makes that person who's dating them think a little bit about where they stand with Jesus. And so this is my question for you tonight. This is where I want to conclude because this is what Paul is talking about. There's a pathway towards destruction, that there's destiny destruction, and there's destiny that is life with Jesus in a new glorious body. And which path are you on? And I think the question that determines which path you're on is, do you love Jesus? The people in this, in this passage who Paul was talking about who, who claim the name of Jesus... They weren't living as though they loved Jesus. He actually said they were living as though they were enemies. They weren't living as those who loved Jesus. And so that's a question for you. And it's, I'll, I'll admit to you right now, that's a scary question for me to ask you because I'm afraid of the answer if you're really honest. I'm afraid of the answer. I, I've, I've had to deal with that question in my own life. Like, I'm afraid of the answer because what if the answer is if I look at my life and I go, where's the evidence that I actually love Jesus? that I'm actually on a pathway pathway to this glorified body that is promised to this this eternal life in his presence, where's the evidence that I'm actually on that pathway? Because a lot of what I see in my life looks a lot more like the people whose stomach is their God. So that's the simple question that I want you to carry with you. Not just tonight, that's not just like write it down in your notes, like that's a question for life, for every day of your life, even choices that you make. Do you love Jesus? Jesus will not chase you if you don't choose him. He's, he's, he's not gonna, he's not gonna like change the rules for you if, you if you break a rule and go off this, on this pathway. He's invited you into a relationship with him and he wants you. He doesn't need you. That's what's really important for you to understand. Jesus does not need you. If you're living to do things for Jesus... That's not what he's asked. He doesn't need you, he wants you. He wants you in relationship with him. And out of your love for him, yes, then of course you'll do things for him, but that's not how you get to him. You don't get to him by doing enough good stuff to actually be in relationship with him. You get to him by loving him enough that you would do whatever for him. If you love somebody with everything that you are, what wouldn't you do for them? What wouldn't you do for them? What wouldn't you give up for them? Or what wouldn't you pursue for them? There's your daily question. Every morning, whenever you think of it, do I love Jesus? Let me pray. Spirit, I ask that you would Uh, I asked at the beginning that you would be here in this place, that your presence would be here, that you would speak, that you would open ears, that you would do the work that you do, you would clear up confusion, and uh, I ask that you would continue to do that as we leave. This question might linger in our ears for a, a couple of days, like, do I really love Jesus? And we need you in this with us to help us answer that question. I pray, God, that you, would, uh, that you would remind us that you love us, that your greatest desire is to be with us, not to lord over us, not to give us a list of to-dos, but to actually be with us, that you are the relational God that created the earth in relationship and created humans in relationship and you created us for relationship. Thank you for being that kind of God not the kind who demands sacrifices that we can never meet. Thank you for loving us so that we can also love you and love your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.